here today. Our Old Testament lesson this morning is from Exodus 33, verses 12 to 23. We found on page 72 in your pew Bibles, or page 139 in the large print. Exodus 33. Before we read, let us pray. Heavenly Father, we do thank you for this day. God, we thank you for all the ways that you have um, shown us who you are. I pray that you would help us to pay attention. That as we look to creation, as we look to uh, the scriptures, as we look to Jesus, that we would come to know you better and love and trust you more and more. This is our prayer for this morning and for every day. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. In Exodus 33, we are shortly after the incident where uh, Moses had led the people out of Egypt and then to the mountain, and God had given the law, and the people had made a golden calf to worship. We're shortly after that. And at this point, Moses Picking up in verse 12 of chapter 33, Moses said to the Lord, You have been telling me, lead these people, but you have not let me know whom you will send with me. You have said, I know you by name, and you have found favor with me. If you are pleased with me, teach me your ways, so that I may know you and continue to find favor with you. Remember that this nation is your people. The Lord replied, My presence will go with you, and I will give you rest. Then Moses said to him, If your presence does not go with us, do not send us up from here. How will anyone know that you are pleased with me and with your people unless you go with us? What else will distinguish me and your people from all the other people on the face of the earth? And the Lord said to Moses, I will do the very thing you have asked, because I am pleased with you, and I know you by name. Then Moses said, Now show me your glory. And the Lord said, I will cause all my goodness to pass in front of you, and I will proclaim my name, the Lord, in your presence. I will have mercy on whom I will have mercy, and I will have compassion on whom I will have compassion. But, he said, you cannot see my face, for no one may see me and live. Then the Lord said, there is a place near me where you may stand on a rock. When my glory passes by, I will put you in a cleft in the rock and cover you with my hand until I have passed by. Then I will remove my hand, and you will see my back, but my face must not be seen. Turning to John 15. John 15, verse 18, going on through chapter 16, verse 7. To be found on page 876 in the Pew Bibles, and 1677 in the large print. We are reading again from Jesus talking with his disciples, teaching them on the night uh, that he is betrayed. And picking up in verse 18, he says, If the world hates you, keep in mind that it hated me first. If you belonged to the world, it would love you as its own. As it is, you do not belong to the world. But I have chosen you out of the world. That is why the world hates you. Remember what I told you. A servant is not greater than his master. If they persecuted me, 
they will persecute you also. If they obeyed my teaching, they will obey yours also. They will treat you this way because of my name, for they do not know the one who sent me. If I had not come and spoken to them, they would not be guilty of sin. But now they have no excuse for their sin. Whoever hates me hates my father as well. If I had not done among them the works no one else did, they would not be guilty of sin. As it is, they have seen, and yet they have hated both me and my father. But this is to fulfill what is written in their law. They hated me without reason. When the Advocate comes, whom I will send to you from the Father, the Spirit of truth who goes out from the Father, he will testify about me. And you also must testify, for you have been with me from the beginning. All this I have told you so that you will not fall away. They will put you out of the synagogue. In fact, the time is coming when anyone who kills you will think they are offering a service to God. They will do such things because they have not known the Father or me. I told you this, so that when their time comes, you will remember that I warned you about them. I did not tell you this from the beginning because I was with you. But now I am going to him who sent me. And if you ask me, where are you going? Rather, you are filled with grief because I have said these things. But very truly I tell you, it is for your good that I am going away. Unless I go away, the advocate will not come to you. But if I go, I will send him to you. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Our sermon title today is Why Jesus Showed Up. I don't know if that's good grammar or not. But, nevertheless, we're sticking with it. Why Jesus Showed Up. We know what that means. It actually kind of comes from a conversation I had with my children a few years ago where we were going through these cards that had questions on them to kind of get you talking. And one of the questions in there was something along the lines of, um, you know, what is it that most surprises you about God? And Micah, as a very young little girl, (laughs) said, when he shows up, which I had not considered before, And now, as you read through the Bible, it has changed the way you look at it because all the time, God keeps showing up. (laughs) And people are always surprised (laughs) that God is showing up as though we don't expect him to do that. And yet, that's exactly what we ought to expect. And yet, when it really got crazy is when God showed up, not in a pillar of fire or pillar of smoke, but when he showed up as a baby in human form as Jesus. And the question then is, why did Jesus show up? Why did God show up like this? And we're going to look at this today, particularly taking a look at uh, 1 John chapter 7. There is no 1 John 7. 1 John chapter 4, starting in verse 7. I'm glad some of you are on your toes today. Keep me on track. Um, and we're going to look at how why Jesus showed up. I say that the reasons twofold. One, to show us God's love. And two, to show us the way. So let's first take a look at 1 John 4, verses 7 through 16, I believe. John writes, Dear friends, let us love one another. For love comes from God. Everyone who loves has been born of God and knows God. 
Whoever does not love does not know God, because God is love. This is how God showed his love among us. He sent his one and only Son into the world that we might live through him. This is love. Not that we loved God, but that he loved us and sent his Son as an atoning sacrifice for our sins. Dear friends, since God so loved us, we also ought to love one another. No one has ever seen God. But if we love one another, God lives in us, and his love is made complete in us. This is how we know that we live in him and he in us. He has given us of his spirit. And we have seen and testify that the Father has sent his Son to be the Savior of the world. If anyone acknowledges that Jesus is the Son of God, God lives in them and they in God. And so we know and rely on the love God has for us. God is love. Whoever lives in love lives in God, and God in them. This is a passage um, that is so, so big. It's all about love. Um, That I think, in some way or another, I manage to reference this passage in every wedding I do. And with Valentine's Day just around the corner, gentlemen, with Valentine's Day just around the corner, it might be good for us to look at a passage like this even now. Although, this is not just about romantic love. This is not about um, just being married. And so if you are married, certainly apply this in that situation. But it goes far beyond that. So if you are single, don't think, oh, well, I can tune out now. No, this is for everybody. And the reason we said first, the reason that Jesus came was to show us God's love. And that's where we start. Because in Jesus, we actually see the character of God more clearly than we have otherwise seen. And you know we can look to creation, right? That God has revealed himself in several ways. We can look to creation and we can say, okay, if God made all of this, what can we learn about God? And there's a lot that we can learn from just looking at creation, right? You can see that God is big. You can see he must be very powerful. You can see that he works on a very large scale, and yet, no matter how far you zoom out, as far as you zoom in, you can still see that he's very concerned with the smallest of details. There's a lot we can learn about God just from looking at the creation. But that's not the only way that God has revealed himself. We have this as well. And as you look through the whole of the Old Testament, you can see the ways in which God is continually to reveal himself to his people. And through that, we can tell a lot more about who God is. We can see that he's holy. We see that he is compassionate. We see that he is concerned about righteousness. That he cares for his people. We see that he is very wise. And we see that he's very faithful. There's a lot we can learn about the character of God just from reading through the Old Testament and a lot more than I haven't even named. But when we look to Jesus, it's not that we see something different. It's that we see something more. We see God more clearly as we look to Jesus than we can by just looking at creation or by just looking um, even at the Old Testament. 
this is one of the reasons why, you know, when people say, you know, there's no reason to, uh, to gather together as a church, I can worship God just the same, uh, out on the golf course, appreciating the beautiful creation around me, and praise God that way. You can, in a limited way. If Jesus is not a part of it, it may be a severely limited way. So when we look to Jesus, we see that God is love. That's what John tells us, right? God is love. And when we first hear that, we tend to do, uh, kind of make one of two mistakes. Either one, we say, if God is love, that means anything that we call love, that must be God and that must be worshipped. Wrong. That is not what it says. As God is love, and, it gets to de- and he gets to define what love really is. But secondly, the other mistake that we make is we say, oh, well, if God is love, then he's not those other things that we just talked about. He must not be big and powerful and creative and holy and righteous. And No. When it says God is love, it doesn't do away with any of those other attributes, but it actually, when it says God is love, it puts all the other attributes into proper perspective. Let me explain. There's a big difference between a parent who loves you so much that they will absolutely stand in your way if they believe that you are set on harming yourself. There's a big difference between that and a parent who will get in your way just to show you who's boss. You know what I'm saying? That's a big difference. And so when we look at all these other attributes of God, we have to understand that even his, uh, even his wrath that we read about is all in the context of his love for us. That his, um, his compassion, his faithfulness, his holiness is all in the context of his love. And here's, here's where it gets even crazier. Have you ever thought about what God was doing before he created the world? Before he created the universe at all? This is where Christianity has something very unique to say about God. Some say, you know, God was just sitting around bored. Like, well, I gotta, I just gotta do something. I don't know. Others say, well, no, God needed something to love, and so he created us so that he would have something or someone to love. No. Because if we remember that God is three in one, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, that there has been a relationship of love from the very beginning, from before the very beginning, existing for all eternity, this relationship of love, then we can say that God not only began to love at a certain time, but that God is love. That this is a part of him that is intrinsic to his character and his very nature. And yet, it's something we don't get to see very clearly until we get to Jesus. And we see what this love means. And remember I said that it's God who gets to define it, not us. And that's where I even says, this is love. Not that we love God, but that he loved us and sent his son as an atoning sacrifice for our sins. This is the kind of love it's talking about. It's an unconditional love, and it is a self-sacrificing kind of love. One that says, I will lay down my life for the good of you. We looked at that a few weeks ago as well, but here it really all comes together. 
So that's the first reason Jesus showed up, was to show us God's love, show us what that looks like. As Jesus is continually giving his life for others, even to the point of going to the cross for us all. But then the second part of that, why did Jesus show up? Is to show us the way. And so we are to love one another, not because that's the cool thing to do, it's what all the cool kids are doing these days. It's not. We're not to love one another because it's the safe thing to do, because it's usually not the safe thing to do. And we're to love one another not because the one another's deserve it in any way, because they usually don't. But we are to love one another because love comes from God, because God is love, and because God showed us this love. You read this again. Dear friends, let us love one another, for love comes from God. Everyone who loves has been born of God and knows God. Whoever does not love does not know God, because God is love. And this is how God showed his love among us. He sent his one and only Son into the world that we might live through him. This is love. Not that we loved God, but that he loved us and sent his son as an atoning sacrifice for our sins. Dear friends, since God so loved us, we also ought to love one another. No one has ever seen God, but if we love one another, God lives in us and his love is made complete in us. Love comes from God. God is love. God showed us this love in Jesus Now, this is obviously the command we have before us to love one another. Can we do it? And this is actually one of the things I tend to include in wedding uh, wedding sermons. So I'll describe love, and I'll really build it up. And then I'll say to the couple, you know, so the question is, can you do it? And it's funny because at this point, most of them will be like, yeah, that's why I'm here. <laughs> the people who are laughing have been married for a while. <laughs> because then I have to stop them and say, no, you can't. <laughs> at least not on your own. We don't have it in us naturally to love like this. It doesn't come naturally. We don't always feel like it. Usually we don't. It isn't easy. And we don't. We don't even love because... Whatever that word is. Oh, yeah. We don't even love because the people we love, so that the people we love will appreciate it and love us back because usually they don't appreciate it. And it doesn't come back. And so if we're trying to love on our own and by what comes natural and when we feel like it and when it's easy or even when we really buckle down and I'm going to love here so that they'll love back, we are all just completely operating out of the wrong system. This is how we know that we live in him and he in us. He has given us of his spirit. 
And we have seen and testified that the Father has sent his Son to be the Savior of the world. If anyone acknowledges that Jesus is the Son of God, God lives in them, and they in God. And so we know and rely on the love God has for us. God is love. Whoever lives in love lives in God, and God in them. Do you hear what this is saying? This is a very different system. This is not a system that says, I will love when it's easy, or I will love so you will love me. As a, just a roundabout way of getting my own love needs met. This is very one-sided. It says, I'm going to love you no matter what. I'm going to give myself for you no matter what. Now, according to the systems of the world, according to what comes natural, we recoil in horror at that line of thinking. At that line of thinking. We say, no, 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 no. I've got needs that have to be met. And if I don't have my love needs met, I can't love somebody like that. I can't give myself. And that's exactly right. And that's why we don't look to other people to meet our needs. Have you noticed that the whole way through this, it's all about, this is why Jesus showed up. To show us the love of God that he has for us, the lengths that he's willing to go for us. And that out of the overflow of the love that we have from him, it goes out to the rest of the world. And he's given us his spirit. I have a little commentary from um, one of the speakers this week. I'm going to quote somebody who's quoting somebody else. So let's see how well that comes through. Um, one of the speakers this week was quoting the sermon that Martin Luther King Jr. preached the night before he was killed. And he was preaching on the parable of the Good Samaritan. And apparently, you know, he talks about the, the priest goes by and the Levite goes by and they see the man who is in distress, but they don't stop, they don't help. But then as Jesus tells it, the, um, the Samaritan goes by and he sees him and he helps. And apparently in the sermon that Martin Luther King preached... Um, he gives various reasons why they might not have stopped you know, the priest and the Levite, who everybody would have expected would stop, why they might not have. And it was, you know, well, it was a dangerous road, and it could have been a trap. You know, they, um, he might have been bait, not really in danger, but there may have been others hiding around the corner, and so if you stop to help him, you may be putting yourself in danger. Or there's the idea that, you know, if he's actually dead and you go over to help, now you've just contaminated yourself and you're no longer holy because you've touched a dead body, and so... Anyway, but the way Martin Luther King uh, points out the difference between those who helped and those who didn't, as he said, the priest and the Levite were asking themselves the question, if I stop, what will happen to me? But the Samaritan asked a very different question, which was, if I don't stop, what will happen to him? Now, This is a supernatural kind of love. It's not natural. The natural question to ask is, what will happen to me? But the supernatural question, when we have the Spirit of God in us that enables us to live with this kind of self-giving love, we look at other people and we don't think first, what will happen to me, but what will happen to them? And we know this is the kind of love that God has because, and this is the part of his character, because when we look at what Jesus did for us, the reason he came at all, it wasn't, well, wasn't for reasons that we would normally do things. 
because he looked at us and he didn't ask the question, what will happen to me if I go? Because if he'd asked the question, what will happen to me if I go? We may still be in trouble. But instead he asked the question, what will happen to them if I don't go? And I think we all know the answer. So now, here's the diagnostic question for us as we look at this. And um, like a nurse getting ready to give you a shot, I'm going to warn you, this may sting a little. But it's for our good. In the news recently, we have had uh, the Syrian refugee situation happening. Now, I'm not talking about government response and the responsibility the government has to protect its citizens. That's not what I'm talking about. But what I am talking about is this. As Christians, when we see those who are on boats headed to shores, we have to ask ourselves the question, is my first thought when I see that, what will happen to me if they come here? Or is my first response, what will happen to them if we say no? Now, like I said, that's a different question than what should the government do in this particular situation. But this is the issue that really matters. How is it that we look at those around us? Which question are we asking? The one that comes naturally or the one that comes supernaturally? Now, that's the diagnosis. Here's the prescription. We might think that the prescription would be, if we're asking the wrong question, then we just need to try harder. We just need to really buckle down and try to get it right. That is not the prescription. That might be what the, how the priest and Levite would have responded after you know, they go through the situation and then they hear they did it wrong. They're like, oh, next time I'm going to get it right. No. The actual prescription here is to look to Jesus. Because as long as we feel like we're not having our needs met by him, as long as we feel like he doesn't really love us, we will continue to respond out of fear and out of self-preservation and out of grabbing for control in our own lives. But when we really look at who Jesus is, when we see what he's revealed about who God is and the amazing love that he has for us, the way that he provides everything that we really, really need, and when that so fills our hearts, we start asking the other question because of the spirit that's in us. We start asking how we can give our lives for the sake of others. Not because we're no longer concerned about our lives, but because we find ourselves increasingly concerned about those around us. This is the love that God has for us. This is the love that we are to be living in and that should be flowing through us. This is why Jesus showed up. To show us God's love for us and to show us the way. In the name of the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen.